0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Francis Steed Sellers, a senior writer here at the Washington Post. From fertility care to pediatric support and mental health counseling, Maven Clinic is a telehealth platform that aims to provide families and their offspring with a wide range of services. I'm joined now by the founder and CEO. Kate Ryder. Kate, a very warm welcome to Washington Post Live. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're very pleased and looking forward to a conversation. And before we start, a word to our audience. We would love to have you join the conversation by tweeting questions for Kate to postlive. That's the Twitter hashtag postlive. Thanks for joining in. So, Kate, let's start with going back a decade or so to the beginning of Maven Clinic. What prompted you to support and begin this particular platform?
0: So um, I started Maven eight years ago, and eight years ago, we were still in the very early days of talking about all of the kind of issues that we're finally talking about today. So whether it was postpartum depression or miscarriage or struggling with infertility, um, a lot of these conversations were still heavily stigmatized. And so I was starting my family journey um, about around that time and saw myself and a lot of my friends going through... Uh, major gaps in care, and and how we were experiencing um, these family building journeys, both with ourselves, our partners, um, and then ultimately as we became chief medical officers of our homes, um, with with our with managing our kids' health as well. And so I thought. Um, there was a lot of new and interesting technology at the time, telehealth included, and how amazing would it be to reinvent the care model, bring more holistic, equitable care um, to, to women and families. And since then, we've expanded not just to women's health, but to LGBTQ health, family health, children's health, and, and more broad-based reproductive health.
1: Yeah, I was struck by that. You refer to partners, of course. You refer to LGBTQ. I think something like 40 percent of your membership is uh, identified as male. What kind of specific services do you provide for that group?
0: Well, uh, you know, I think it's always been our belief that uh, it's it's both partners. A woman may be pregnant, but particularly, her, you know, her partner uh, should be included in that care journey. And um, and then for same sex couples, uh, we support uh, infertility journeys, um, egg freezing, surrogacy, adoption. Uh, and then in pediatrics, uh, we actually see a lot of our, our male members using sleep coaches and pediatricians to really help manage the the family's household and around their health.
1: I'd love to ask about health equity, which has become such an issue, or it always has been an issue, but it's certainly come to the forefront in recent years. As a telehealth platform, you're potentially more accessible across the spectrum. And I have an audience question that's come in from NIDI in California. I will read it to you. NIDI asks, how do you address care to underserved and minority women? Great question.
0: Sure. So this is one of the things that we're, we're quite proud of. And I think one of the absolute uh, examples of the power of telehealth. So we have over 30 types of providers in our platform, 40% rep- uh, identify as BIPOC, 10% represent as LGBTQ. And so we're able to match care um, based on someone's lived experiences um, and how they prefer to be seen and heard. And 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 so they're able to build that trust with a with a virtual care provider. So that's one big area, um, you know, only about 75% of white members say that they can meet with a doctor in person. Only 20, 20% of black and Hispanic patients are actually meeting with providers who share their ethnicity or their race. And that leads to um, worse outcomes. There's a lot of studies that have shown that when black patients see black providers, they get better outcomes, um, particularly in maternal health, where the outcomes are that black women die at three times the rate of white women in childbirth. It's a really important issue. And so bringing this culturally competent care via telehealth um, is one of the ways in which we can begin to solve this. As, as you know, we do it both at Maven, but as a, as a broader healthcare system. Um, and I think the other the other area that's that's really important too is um, Medicaid and working in Medicaid. Uh, you know, that's where a lot of the um, you know minorities and underserved populations in maternal health. Um, uh, uh, there's a, a a lot of very adverse outcomes there, and so we've just also made our our first uh, foray and, and launched our first population in Medicaid this past year.
1: Just to follow up a little bit on that, take me through the steps of, you know, I come into your system. How do you do this matching of uh, people who come in with um, doctors or providers who um, meet some of the, who have cultural characteristics that meet their own?
0: Sure. So, um, so we have almost 2000 providers in our network and the telehealth is kind of overlaid with a, a care navigator a care advocate. And so once the patient comes into Maven, they meet with their care advocate. They can also um, meet with a care advocate that, of a specific race or that speaks a specific language. And then through their kind of the questions they answer in onboarding, as well as their conversation with their care advocate, they're able to craft a care team that works for them. And so, you know, whether it's, it's race, it's gender, it's um, language, Uh, You know, patients are able to pick and choose. And then I think what's also pretty unique is 30 different types of providers just in women's and family health is is quite a lot. And so there's also so many different holistic providers they can bring into these care teams like pregnancy coaches or doulas or midwives, um, genetic counselors, uh, adoption coaches. And so, you know, they're really able to craft a care team that works for them.
1: So the declaration of a public health emergency really transformed um, telehealth for many people. You were already in the business. What unique approach did you take at Maven to take advantage of the public health emergency and also um, to take advantage of the skills you already had from being in this area for such a long time?
0: Sure. So I think we all remember those kind of crazy few months, right, when the pandemic hit in March 2020. Um, you know, and being the largest telehealth provider in women's and family health, um, we we felt like we had a, a big you know we had a, a big service to do. Um, and not only kind of for for company growth, but we did do some emergency launches in those first few months. And what was what was kind of amazing, as I think back, is we at Maven, as well as a small company, had just transitioned to remote work, and everybody was working around the clock. Sometimes. You know, I had two kids at that point with kids kind of running around screaming in the background as we were all trying to manage this but we stood up some emergency um, emergency uh, contracts one with the, with the state of Massachusetts um, and, and others um, to, to really bring uh, fertility, maternity and pediatric telehealth to a lot of um, a lot of patients who all of a sudden started to you know didn't have access to care um, If you remember at the time there was a lot of fertility clinics shut down and then for pregnant um, family for pregnant women and their families, uh, there was only one person often allowed in the hospital room. And there was just so much anxiety during that time. But then what we saw, um, you know, as the pandemic wore on is that telehealth became um, a a mainstream kind of understanding among consumers. And so I think it was one of the things that we had always struggled with starting back in 2014, 2015, as a lot of people didn't even know what the word uh, meant or what it did. And so we saw, a massive uptick not only in kind of new customers but within the customers that we had whether it was employees of you know big companies or members of health plans they, they were started to sign up for, for Maven in, in droves. And so we saw um, you know, not just kind of new, new sales go up as people recognize the importance of women's and family health and the broader healthcare ecosystem, but they all, we also saw just a, a, a greater understanding and literacy from the consumer on what the possibilities of, of telehealth and virtual care were and, and how it could really help them.
1: So you became a unicorn company, I think right in the middle of the, of the pandemic, maybe last August. What message do you have to investors um, in women's health? What do you see the future holds?
0: Well, I think that when the show was starting, I was I was seeing one of the original the initial stats that um, women make eighty percent of of healthcare decisions, and I think that right. fundamentally, you know, women women's and family health has been so underserved for so long that as we look to transform and and change the healthcare system for the better, um, this is one of the core constituencies and populations that has been left out, and so um, there's just such an incredible impact that you can have systemically if you invest in family building, you invest in women's health, you invest in this kind of, you know, be- beginning um, of, of somebody's healthcare journey, and then really continue to serve them, um, you know, man or woman or child, as it, you know, across a whole family care platform. I think also um, what what we're we're really in the very early innings. Um, today we actually um, announced that we've recently launched a menopause product. That's yet another uh, area of women's health that has been really underserved. I think what we've seen with Roe v Wade being overturned, you know, access has been further restricted with a lot of LGBTQ rights as well. And some of what we're seeing in the state legislatures, access is, you know, being restricted in mental health and and a lot of discriminatory um, practices are going up, which is, which really affects, um, you know, continues to affect one of the most important consumers of healthcare. So I think we're in the early innings and I think hopefully what um, our valuation proved, as well as many of the other companies in, in our market um, and, and how much growth they're experiencing, that this is, um, this is just a, a critical part of mainstream healthcare.
1: We'll get to menopause and the post-dobs um, atmosphere in a minute, but I want to ask you specifically about being a woman-led company. Um, I think venture capitalists um, put only 2% of their investment into female-led companies. What advice do you have for other female founders, and why do you think this gap continues to exist?
0: Well, no pressure. But listen, I think that um, one of the big problems that we certainly saw early on is that venture capital rooms were were full of mostly male partners. And so when you're bringing unique issues that they may not understand as much about, then, you know, they may they may be overlooked, like women's health, as an example, or children's health. And so one of the things that has helped us through the years, and I think continues to help diversify the, the capital and where it's going, is there's more female partners in venture capital, um, you know, our Series A was led by a woman. Our Series B was led by co-led by two women. Our Series D was co-led by a woman, um, and so we have we actually have more women on our board than men, and that has helped us a ton. I actually don't know if Maven would be where we are today uh, if we didn't have a lot of those female venture capital partners, and um, and hopefully, you know, I think one of the great theses as well. If you look at a lot of women uh, venture investors who are just also trying to drive returns for their their venture capital firm is that um, there's a lot of underserved and a lot of uh, you know parts of of the female population, whether it's retail companies or um, other products, because they haven't overlooked by by venture capital. And so there's a, a massive business opportunity. Um, I think when you also look, and there's a lot of organizations now like Lean In that you know publish um, stats on on company performance if they have more diverse teams. Um, and and so you know hopefully there's people taking notice. It's still an uphill battle sometimes. But uh, at least there's there's more females around the table who are advocating for some of these products.
1: So let's now get to reproductive health and the fallout from the Dobbs decision. You referred to it earlier on. What was your reaction as a company leader and what did you begin to hear from patients?
0: Well, with the Roe decision, we knew, I mean, a lot of the people in the women's health community knew it was coming right when SB8 was passed uh, in Texas last fall. And then obviously there was the leak from the Supreme Court. Um, What we did is we worked across a few of our product lines to really uh, ramp up what companies and health plans could offer members to bring better access to care. So one of the products, Maven Wallet, uh, supports travel reimbursement across state states. Another product, um, which is our pregnancy options counseling product, which is part of our core maternity track, helps, um, you know, women understand when they get pregnant, uh, what their options are uh, whether they want to give a child up for adoption whether it makes sense to terminate a pregnancy and in compliance now of course with the state laws that they live in um, or whether they want to continue with the pregnancy and so this is all uh, you know core core prenatal care and I think there, there's a lot of um, you know nuance and complexity in a lot of decisions our chief medical officer um, you know speaks a lot about the complexity of obstetric decisions when it comes to choosing the best uh, options for patients and you know and so I, I think with Maven, um, you know, a lot of the, the telehealth and the care advocacy—that's a lot of instant access to care and instant access to second opinions and understanding about what people's options are. I mean, it's a time of a lot of confusion, um, but from patients, not even who are pregnant right now, but you know, taking a larger step back and thinking about their family building journey if they live in these more restrictive states states. Uh, there's, there's a lot more anxiety around w- what they should do, uh, you know, should, should their options be restricted.
1: So a number of these state laws complicate fertility care, the potential for multiple fetuses or um, other issues like that. Did you see this in terms of a business as um, something that would cramp your offerings to people or as an opportunity?
0: You know, we didn't know, quite frankly, because I think that in the beginning, uh, we didn't you didn't see a lot of people stepping up to talk about it right after SB8 was passed. Only our Texas clients or some some companies in Texas, which were more vocal, um, you know, and and I think a lot of people were trying to figure out what to do. There's still a lot going on in the world um, that a lot of benefits teams are are dealing with and trying to understand and guide their teams on. And so there was a lot of um, wait and see. And we didn't know, given how politicized this issue is, whether and and, and how diverse a lot of the companies are that we serve, um, you know, a lot of companies don't want to wade into politics. But I think that when the, uh, the decision was passed down, it was a Friday, um, what we saw was all of a sudden a tremendous influx of companies, of health plans, of all sizes. Um, from all different states trying to figure out how to better support their employees in the aftermath of Roe, how to open up access. Because at the end of the day i mean you know this is a healthcare issue it's also an equity issue and a lot of companies struggle to have inequitable benefits across states for something that is so core uh to a, a, an employee's life which is building their family whether it's you know through ivf and what that means for for you know the the embryos in some of the the states where personhood laws are now in the state legislatures or whether uh, you know those are states with heavily restricted access to um, to abortion care. So uh, so anyway, so we have we continue to see a ton of companies. Um, you know whether they're doing something immediately within 30 days, whether they're you know over the next six months they they're they're planning to. Um, now every every company is that you know almost every company is is really looking at doing something. And, and again, it's not just the right thing to do, but 80% of employees are saying that they only want to work for companies um, with equitable benefits that support DEI. So it is It is also a major talent issue if you if you don't have these inclusive benefits.
1: So because you're a telehealth company working across state lines, are you seeing women reach out for potential um, abortion counseling um, and even for abortion-efficient drugs at this point?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's, again, it's almost one out of four women get an abortion before the are 45. So it is a core part of women's health care. And um, and so now I think what is what we're seeing is is people just don't know um, what what they should be doing and what's legal, what's not every, you know, and, and so Maven, of course, um, you know, is in compliance with with all of the laws. We're also helping keep patients up to date um, on on the latest things that they're able to do. Um, you know, what we also see, we do work with a lot of providers, too. And I think what also is concerning is what this is also doing to the providers. And so a lot of providers uh, in states with restrictive access, even when a woman's having a miscarriage and about one out of five women get miscarriages could be as as high as one out of four, um, but they're, they're, they, they don't know what to do um, and, and what the laws are saying around helping support women during, during that moment. And, and so in a lot of these states um, where we're already seeing in the U.S., 50% of U.S. counties do not have an OBGYN, which lead to these maternity care deserts. A lot of them are in states with the restricted access and so if these providers are thinking about leaving the States, that's gonna to lead to even greater shortages of care and, and providers in women's health for, for so many women who, who need the care. So it's both sides, both the patients, as well as the providers.
1: This is fascinating. Kate, have you seen a spike of investments following the Dubs decision?
0: Well, it's coming at a time when the macro economy is challenged and the markets themselves are, are crunched. And so I think that in general, you're not seeing a lot of investments, period. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, we have seen more people reaching out to us um, and you know, again, not the, the macro environments are very challenged. The amount of VC funding has gone dramatically down. But I think women's health continues to be an area that uh, is top of mind for VCs, both because of the massive opportunity in front of it, but but of how underserved and, and, and with Roe can even more underserved um, so many patients are.
1: And what broader impact do you think this decision may have on maternal health and maternal mortality in the United States, which is certainly um, a controversial and troubling issue?
0: Well, um, stats keep getting worse. So uh, before COVID, um, we saw the U.S. having the worst rate of maternal mortality in the developed world. Um, over the last two years, even before the Roe decision during COVID, we saw maternal mortality go up um, by about 20%. Now, um, with with this ruling, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the University of Colorado, for instance, published a study um, a, about a month ago, predicting that, you know, rates of maternal mortality will now go up. 20% further in states where there is restricted access. And so um, I, I think if you also look at the data in a lot of the states with these trigger laws, um, rates of maternal mortality are 2x higher than and then states with, with better access to care. So uh, it, it is not uh, looking positive at all. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, the data is going to tell a story, but there's gonna be a, a whole uh, lost generation and, and for, for years, I'm sure, of people who um, are, are, are really losing because of, because of all of these laws.
1: Kate, you mentioned earlier, and of course we saw the press release that your company put out about menopause. Um, what are you doing to bring menopause, which of course affects every woman um, as they move out of childbearing age, uh, ages, what are you doing to support that process in the workplace?
0: Well, the, you know, menopause is another uh, underserved area of women's health, and so we um, we've had we've been helping women with uh, through menopause or perimenopause, um, you know, since we launched in, in 2015 because we've had access to all of this telehealth and to OBs and and midwives and whatnot. Um, And, you know, we've we've asked, because we have this family care platform for employers and health plans over the years if menopause would be of interest. And I mean, it always was, but it just wasn't the top priority. Um, But then what happened in the last year is the UK actually came out with a working group on how menopause affects women in the workforce. They wanted to kind of lead the world in talking about this issue, which has been stigmatized for a while. And I think that was, uh, you know, a lot of their findings were that, obviously, this is a huge issue, Um, it's not Served at all, and so a lot of you know our multinational companies started hearing from their employees um, abroad, as well as then increasingly in the U.S. about this being a major issue that that no one's talking about enough that affects women's productivity at work, and and so. Um, so this year we we just started to see a, a huge amount of um of interest. And so we have a, a client advisory board, and we asked them, you know, back at the beginning of the year, okay, is is now the year? Is this something you would be interested in? And it was kind of a, a unanimous yes by some of the largest employers in the country, which was really exciting. and so um and so we uh, quickly took a lot of the core elements of our platform, our, our telehealth, which has those access to OBs that do serve, um, you know, women going through menopause. Uh, A lot of, we we produced a lot, a library of content so that people could really understand symptoms and what was normal, what was not. Um, You know, we have virtual classes around going through perimenopause. We have um, you know, care navigation to help people who are going through more extreme um, experiences get that care in person that they need. And we brought all of that together pretty quickly. Um, and we now uh, have a, just in a very short amount of time um, about a million lives under contract with our, with our menopause product.
1: And what's the most striking or surprising about the kinds of questions women bring to this discussion?
0: Um, well, I, I think it's the. I mean, it's like a lot of women's health. It's the lack of education on what's about to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not going through menopause, and and it was eye opening. I learned so much going through this product, um, and and no one ever teaches you about it or tells you about it. And and so what to do if if you know that when when the symptoms start um, start coming and how to manage them. Same thing, kind of even going back to preconception care. No one tells you how to you know what what it's like to be pregnant or 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 going through that um, preconception journey. And so, again, I think there's a lot that that we've brought now to, to really shed light on the fact that every woman who's going to go through menopause is going to probably have different symptoms. It's going to start at different times based on your history, but that there's a ton of care out there and a ton of great providers who can help you through it. So it doesn't have to be debilitating, whether you need hormone therapy, whether you can kind of manage the symptoms naturally, but, but at least kind of normalizes it and, and really helps people kind of manage their day to day as they go through it.
1: So this lack of knowledge and lack of uh, ability to find information is of course linked to research. And I think a McKinsey report said that just 1% of health research and innovation was dedicated to female specific health research. Um, That's outside of oncology. What's gonna change that tide?
0: well i i think that um a, a few things number one um you know as as more and more companies are, are kind of come into women's health and as some of the big um the big health plans and, and health systems have a a bigger focus on it, uh, which by the way, they should like childbirth is the number one reason for hospitalization in the United States. This is a massive industry uh, that, you know, as, as more of those leaders inside of industry as well, kind of team up with digital health companies, um, you know, we can, we can produce a lot more data. And I think that the when you do when you do not have um, research dollars going into these studies, and you don't have technology platforms that are able to help collect a lot of this data, it's pretty hard to produce studies and do original research. And so, with Maven, you know, we um, we we've been we have some interesting um, and and exciting studies coming out based on a lot of the data around the patient populations. We've been managing everything from digital phenotypes of types of users to you know how telehealth can um, improve uh, maternity outcomes and and. For fertility outcomes um, to, you know, we, we see even uh, our, our chief medical officer and his team just were at, was at ACOG, which is the American Academy of Obstetrician and Gynecologists conference this year, showing that even Black members use MAVEN at higher rates than white members, which is really encouraging because there's so much mistrust, um, you know, among that community as well with the system. And so if, if we're able to bring, um, you know, that trust and care and match Black patients and broad providers, um, you know, that that also is, is just really encouraging. So, um, so I I think it's, you know, there's been a data problem, there's been a funding problem, but hopefully, uh, you know, platforms like Maven can start to close that gap.
1: And talking about collecting data, we've seen that long COVID, and I want to take us back to the pandemic just briefly, disproportionately affects women of childbearing age. Is that something you've also been collecting data on?
0: Um, You know, that's one of the many things, we haven't done any studies on it, but it's certainly uh, yeah, we'll add it to the list. Um, it, it's certainly something that uh, is definitely effect- disproportionately affecting women. I think a, a lot of different um, things disproportionately affect women, whether it's um, you know, mental health and depression. Uh, so so we, we have a long list um, of, of things that we want to go deeper on uh, in, you know, across our studies and our clinical research.
1: Actually jump into a couple of those for me. What are your future goals? You've got this very successful platform now. Tell us where it's going.
0: Well, uh, I, I, feel like technology can be a great leveler. Um, and so a lot of these gaps that, that you've been highlighting asking about, um, you know, first of all, through the virtual care, bringing, um, that, uh, Access to care equitably to all corners, not just of the U.S. but of the globe, and to show up in the way that um, is is trusting in the way that people want. Uh, you know, depending on where you live, what your race is, what your socioeconomic background is, what your you know how you identify sexually and from as a gender. You know, whatever whatever you need from the healthcare system that maybe a local healthcare system and, and bricks and mortar care can't give you. Um, that you know. Maven and telehealth can provide it. And so, you know, as we go into Medicaid, which is nearly 50% of the births in this country, it's it's more challenging and complex to, you know, address some of the social determinants needs in that population. And we are, we are you know, working on a, continuing to evolve our product to meet those needs. And so I hope that Maven, um, you know, is is credibly showing up both from an experience standpoint, as well as an outcome standpoint, across the the, the diverse populations that we serve, whether it's a woman working at Google in San Francisco, uh, a gay man in New York, uh, you know, a, a, a lower income woman in Alabama, a, you know, a couple in India trying to conceive. These are all of our users. And so continuing to personalize the care through the, 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 the services as well as the technology.
1: Kate, I want to squeeze in one last question. I can't resist. Um, The pandemic particularly showed us how, um, and it certainly predated the pandemic too, primary care has been ill-served by infrequent bricks-and-mortar visits, things particularly chronic illnesses like diabetes, hypertension, all these other things. Do you see yourself as a model to to help solve this huge primary care problem across the country?
0: Absolutely, um, I think that what we talk about here at Maven is that often family building and women's health is an on-ramp to primary care. And so one of the things we see in our population, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself, is that almost 50% of our moms don't have PCPs, we're too busy, we have OBGYNs, we have pediatricians, we do not have PCPs, the system doesn't make it easy. And so that is a huge issue. Um, a lot of uh, Gen Gen Z and, and millennials as well. And so I think that in, oftentimes what we see is when you start to to build a family, whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, this is, this is the on-ramp to the healthcare system. And so how do we help kind of connect all of those dots back to primary care? Um, so, so I think there's a huge opportunity.
1: Kate, unfortunately that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for joining us and teaching us about the on-ramp to the primary care system.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.